This message was shared from the pulpit at Good News Baptist Church in Chesapeake, Virginia. For more information, visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org. We're in Genesis 18 and 19, uh, continuing on. and uh, This lesson is so packed with information the first time I ran through my notes, it took an hour and 20 minutes. Uh, so I've cut some out. I've put a lot of information in your notes because it's so good, it's so, it's so up to date and so practical for each of us as we live our lives. There's so much to learn here from Abraham. Uh, and I hope you'll uh, maybe take these lessons and look at some of the scriptures later on. Uh, it'll be a blessing to you. Uh, but let's... Uh, I want to read the first three verses of chapter 18 to get started. We'll have prayer and get into the lesson. Chapter 18 of Genesis says, And the Lord appeared unto him in the plains of Mamre, and he sat in the tent door in the heat of the day. And he lifted up his eyes and looked, and lo, three men stood by him. When he saw them, he ran to meet them from the tent door and bowed himself toward the ground and said, My Lord, if now I have found favor in thy sight, pass not away, I pray thee, from thy servant. Let's pray. Father, we come to you, Lord. Uh, what a treasure it is to look into your divinely inspired, divinely preserved word and to learn from it. Lord, there's many people in this world that have never heard the name of Jesus don't have a Bible, don't have a testament, have nothing from Scripture in their language they can read. And we're so blessed, and we thank you for it. Now I pray, Father, that you'll turn our hearts and minds towards you and uh, help us set aside those things from the world that would distract us and uh, help us to uh, learn from your word today. In Christ's name I pray, amen. You're familiar, I'm sure, with this uh, passage of Scripture uh, so we'll just go ahead and get into it in your notes. Uh, I, have, uh, I have some quotes in there that I think are good. The first one, the first line, never in the field of human conflict was so much owed by so many to so few. And those words were spoken by Winston Churchill uh, to the British House of Commons in 1940, and he was reviewing the first year of the war uh, and paid special tribute to the brave uh, men in the Royal Air Force uh, fighter pilots who were, as he said, turning the tide of the World War by their prowess and their devotion. The citizens of Great Britain knew that the Royal Air Force was what was doing for them. Unlike Sodom and Gomorrah uh, and the other cities of the plains that did not know uh, that three persons, Abraham, Lot, and the Lord Jesus Christ, stood between them and total destruction. And we'll see that in the lesson today. Three men, Abraham, Lot, and Jesus. And so, number one in your outline, Abraham was the friend of God. And your blank there is God. Abraham was the friend of God. Abraham's given this special title. Uh, and he's the only person in the Bible to have it. Yes, Jesus called people his friends. He called Lazarus his friend, uh, and he called all those that believe were friends, those that obey him. But Abraham 
uh, was the only one to have the title, the friend of God. Uh, and as his friends, as Jesus' friends, we can share his love and his fellowship. And we can know his will. We have his word. If we are, uh, and, and we can obey him. And we need to obey him as we understand his word and learn from it. And the other quote that I believe I have for you in your handout is, uh, Vance Havner wrote, If we are beset by an unseen foe, speaking of the devil and his demons, which we are, we are also befriended by an unseen friend, the Lord Jesus Christ. And praise God uh, for that. Uh, Great is our adversary, but greater is our ally. Greater is he that is in us than he that's in the world, is what Vance Haven would say. Friendship involves ministry. If you're going to be a friend to someone, uh, you have a ministry with them. And then in this chapter, you'll find Abraham ministering in three different areas. First, we're going to see how he ministered to the Lord. We'll look very briefly at how he ministered in his home and then to a lost world. And Abraham has much to teach us. Uh, he does. He has much to teach us uh, how to, how, by how he lived his life and how we can live our life. And his testimony lives on today, as we'll see. So let's go to letter A, and we'll see, first off, that Abraham, he ministered to the Lord. He ministered to the Lord. And I have Colossians 3, 23 and 24 in there. And I love this verse. And whatsoever, whatsoever ye do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not unto men, knowing that of the Lord ye shall receive the reward of the inheritance, for ye serve the Lord Christ. Whatsoever ye do, wheresoever ye do it, maybe at work, maybe walking, maybe anywhere. Uh, so whatsoever you do, uh, do it to the Lord. And all ministry, first and foremost, must be to the Lord. As chaplain in the jail, I knew my ministry was to the Lord first. It was his ministry, not mine. I was just honored and privileged to be there and do have a little part in it. Uh, and Brother Neil, by the way, still ministers in the jail. Both of us do. We, and that's it's his ministry. It's God's ministry. It's not ours. And we understand that. Um, but we will never be a blessing to others if we do not understand that our ministry is to the Lord. We have to have that vertical relationship and then the horizontal relationship. But we need to be a minister to the Lord first. Uh, Abraham was taking his daily rest in the heat of the day, sitting in the door of his tent. And he sees three strangers approaching. Uh, and few people traveled in the heat of the day back then. In that neck of the woods, it's, it's pretty hot. I was over there on a ship one day. It was 105 degrees. We were looking for any shade we could get. So for strangers to be out traveling in the heat of the day uh, would have been a rarity. So Abraham was immediately both courteous and he, was, uh, he, he displayed hospitality because hospitality was the first law of the East. Remember you talk about washing feet and things like that, and that's what they did, They're, that you had to show hospitality. 
Uh, and Abraham faithful, faithfully obeyed that. The three, three strangers that were coming were the Lord Jesus Christ and two of his angels. Uh, and there was nothing about their appearance that told Abraham who they were. But he fellowshiped with them, and he learned that he was entertaining royal visitors. His ministry to the Lord was so acceptable that we ought to follow his example today. So let's look at some ways uh, that Abraham ministered to these three strangers, to the Lord and to the two angels. In Roman number one there, he served the Lord personally. He served the Lord personally. Remember, Abraham was how old? Ninety and nine. Ninety-nine years old, and he's wealthy. He's very wealthy. So picture an old, wealthy person. Uh, and he could have entrusted it. He could have just snapped his fingers. One of his people would have popped up, and he could have sent them out to find out who these strangers were. But he personally uh, ministered to them. He went to them. In chapter 14, I have it in your handout, but there was, he had, I think it was like 315 servants armed for war when Lot was taken captive, and, and he went out uh, and took on these the kings and their armies and, and got Lot and all the people that they had taken away back. So he had a lot of people under him. He was a powerful man. He had plenty of things to do, but he, but he decides to minister to the Lord, these guests, personally. And Roman number two, he served the Lord immediately. Are you seeing how some of these things can fit into our life today? How it would be wise for us to follow this example and serve personally and immediately. Abraham was a man of faith. And a man of faith does not delay when it comes to serving the Lord. Or as we'll see later on in this case, he's serving strangers. The chapter emphasizes uh, that Abraham ministered to the Lord speedily. And so notice some of the action words that's used in this chapter when we talk about how, what Abraham was doing and how he did it and what he was involved. Uh, in verse 2, it says he ran. He's 99 years old, okay? I'm only 74, but don't, don't ask me to run too much, okay? But he ran at 99 to meet the visitors. He hastened to tell Sarah uh, to bake some bread. He ran to get a tender calf and saw to it that the young man hastened to dress the meat. And keep in mind he's an old man running around in the heat of the day, and only after, only after he had served his guests did Abraham stand still. We'll find that in verse 8 of chapter 18. Roman number 3, he served the Lord generously. He served the Lord generously. Uh, Abraham gave him his best that he had. Sarah baked bread, and the Bible says, from fine meal. And the meat was tender and good. No leftovers or second-rate fare for such important guests who were just strangers that were happening by. And, you know... The lambs that they offered for sacrifice back in that day were supposed to be young. They were supposed to be the best that they had. And as you read through the Bible, you get to the book of Malachi, and you find out that the priests were offering lame, blind, diseased animals. 
And the Lord is, is talking uh, through Malachi, and I think he has a sense of humor. I, I just have to share this with you. But in Malachi 1.8, the Lord asks this question. He says, and if ye offer blind for sacrifice, is it not evil? It was. They had better, but they're often their blind animals. And if ye offer the lame and sick, is it not evil? And the answer to both of those is sure, it's evil. And so here's where the Lord has a sense of humor. He then says, offer it now unto your governor. <laughs> Will he be pleased with thee? Or accept thy person, saith the Lord of hosts? Our ministries, our interactions with persons, we said we serve who? The Lord. Our interactions, is the Lord pleased with what we do, the way we talk to people, the way we act, uh, and the way we treat them? Uh, so that's just something to think about. So this afternoon when you're getting ready to take your nap, three strangers just happen by. Maybe they're trying to sell storm doors or windows or whatever. How are you going to treat them? Do they get any of your time? Do they get a track? Do they get a minute? Uh, just something to think about. In any event, uh, Hebrews 13.2 says, Be not forgetful to entertain strangers. Why was that? For thereby some have entertained angels unaware. You never know what your minute that you give that college kid trying to sell windows and doors and stuff like that. Just that minute you give him, just that invitation to church, just that talking to him, just that interaction, how it might help them change their point of view, uh, counteract some of the stuff they might be hearing at, at home or in college or out on the street, who knows. But in any event, let's move on. Roman number four, he served the Lord with humility. Abraham was a humble man. He bowed to his guest. He's 99 years old. He's extremely wealthy. Got hundreds and hundreds of people working for him. Uh, but he bows to these strangers. Uh, and he, he called himself, he referred to himself as a servant. Do you refer to yourself as servant to other people? Or to other people, are they here to please you, make you happy? Or maybe you're here to make someone else happy. Be serve other people. He served the three visitors. and, uh, and Oh, he called his uh, feast only a morsel of bread. He was giving him some pretty good stuff. But he referred to it as a morsel of bread. Uh, he was very humble. And he served the three visitors. And then, after he got done, he stood by to make sure that everything was available, if they needed anything else. Uh, he interrupted his comfortable afternoon nap to become a servant to these three strangers because of that service. Because of that service, he and his family received great blessings. Uh, would you get, get a reward just for giving someone a cup of water? Just some things to think about. I don't know, but it just burdened my heart as I went through and studied this and thought of it and made application of what I'm seeing in the Word to my own personal life, okay? So sometimes I don't always go to the door to see that college kids. <laughs> but I try to. Uh, in any event, he served the Lord cooperatively, uh, Roman numeral five. Uh, Abraham involved the ministries of others. And this is kind of an interesting point, but it's so applicable. And I see 
some things like that. Sarah baked the bread. A young man dressed the meat. And no doubt other servants brought Abraham the butter and the milk. D.L. Moody said, I would rather put ten men to work than do the work of ten men. Chew on that for a while. If you find yourself in a leadership position, are you going to run around and do everything and let everyone stand there and watch you work? Or are you going to stand back and help let them get involved in the ministry? Wearsby points this out, and I think this is, this is the, the crux of the whole matter here. Wearsby points this out. He says, dedicated servants of God encourage and inspire others to serve the Lord. And that's what Abraham's doing. He's involving others in the ministry that he's doing. Uh, D.L. Moody was used of God to enlist uh, a host of workers, including people like F.B. Meyer, G. Campbell Morgan, R.A. Torrey. And when we serve ourselves in our own ministries, that's not good. Our work perishes. But when we serve the Lord, he gives lasting and abundant fruit. Uh, and that's what we need to do, serve the Lord and receive that. Let me just give you a word about Christian hospitality. We kind of talked about it a little bit, about people coming to the door, saw what Abraham did. But in this day of convenient hotels and motels, we rarely think about entertaining strangers or entertaining people at our house or having them uh, in our home. But hospitality is an important part of being a Christian and Christian ministry. In fact, given to hospitality is one of the requirements for leadership in the local church. 1 Timothy 3.2 and Titus 1.8. And if you think of Timothy and Titus and you've ever been around pulpit search and looking for a new pastor, you're looking for hospitality in your pastor. Uh, and so that, it's important in Christian life. By lovingly serving others, we serve the Lord Jesus Christ, and we promote the spread of God's truth. I saw a testimony recently. This lady was an atheist. She had been reading the Bible, and she met this woman, and she said, I met one of them. <laughs> She's, she, what she meant was she met a Christian. You know how she could tell? She knew what they were supposed to be like. So Christian ministry uh, involves the spread of God's truth. The tr people can see the truth of God's word in your life, in the way you act, the way you interact with them, the way you talk, the way you respect and disrespect. Okay, that's a letter A. Letter B, Abraham, he ministered to his wife. He ministered to his wife. Uh, and this is important because Abraham was faithful to the Lord. He became a channel of blessing to his wife and eventually to his family, eventually to the whole world, right? Because it's through his line that Christ came. Sarah had an important role to play in the working out of God's plan of salvation for the world. And she did her part. She did her part. Sarah was now 89 years old. Yet, she was still a desirable woman with charm and beauty. And as we read on in Genesis chapter 20, you'll see that play out. And part of that was because her husband didn't put wrinkles in her brow. He treated her as the princess that she was. 
Uh, and men, you can learn from that. I, I, I will tell you, like I tell people, I, I believe my wife is a gift from God himself to me. And I try, and I do very good at it, but I try to treat her as if she was actually a gift from God. And I think wives should treat their husbands that way. I think all of us should treat each other that way. So in any event, what, what the Lord is announcing here in Genesis 18 He's announcing that Sarah's going to have a baby. You know this story. You know, he's, I'm going to come back in a year and you're, you're going to have a baby. So what's he saying? God's saying, you know what, Abraham? Remember when we studied Abraham earlier, the Bible said he was good as dead? Now Sarah's 89. She's past her time in life uh, for having children. But this man standing there and look at him and says, Abraham, Sarah, I'm going to reset your biological clocks. I'm going to change your bodies back to when they were younger and able to do these things. And when God says something, God has the power to perform what he says. And so when you read his word and you read the promises in God's word, understand he has the power, like Pastor talked about this morning, he has the power to actually perform what he just said he would do. And I, I, that, yeah, I see things in Scripture. I worry about family and friends that I can't get to and minister to that I know are unsaved or I think are unsaved, uh, and it bothers me. But God says, hey, look, I got other ministers out there. I got other people out there. You just pray, Gene. That's your job to pray. And so we just pray. And trust and know that God has the power uh, to reach them, to do the things he's promised to do. Train up a child in the way he should go. When he's old, he shall not depart from it. God says, you put it in there, I'll keep it in there. And they won't get away from it. They're just things like that. Uh, but he says this, uh, I'm going to reset the biological clock. Is anything too hard for the Lord, the Bible asks? Nope, nothing. Nothing's too hard from the Lord. In verse 14, it says that. If God makes a promise, you can be sure he has the power to fulfill it. He will remain faithful even if we are faithless. God promises it, he'll do it. Whether you believe it or not, he will do it. He, uh, Sarah eventually repented and her husband, uh, and they trusted God and he gave them a promised son. The husband that ministers to the Lord will find himself ministering to the member of his own family, especially his wife. Kids are just a nuisance. They're there for about 18 years and they're gone. <laughs> just kidding. Just kidding. Children go on and they go into adulthood and they leave, but your spouse is with you. 51 years, right, Barbara? What a blessing he is, right? <laughs> Neil says no. She's the blessing. <laughs> 51 years. Uh, so the point is here uh, that their wives uh, will be uh, especially the person we need to minister to, be a source of blessing to her and to the home. And then let her see, he ministered to a lost world. He ministered to a lost world. Abraham now takes on another important role of ministry. We saw that he served the Lord, ministered to the Lord. Sometimes his words are synonymous. 
but he ministered to the Lord and ministered to his wife. And now we're going to see that he ministers or serves, or takes care of, interested in, cares about a lost world. Abraham takes on this other important ministry. He shifts from a servant of guests to, and the ministry is intercession. He is intercessor for family and friends. Our Lord's ministry today is what? Where is he? Sitting at the right hand of the Father, doing what? Making intercession for the saints. Here's the point. When we are intercessors, that's when we are most like our Lord Jesus Christ today. He's making intercession. We need to make intercession for others. It's not enough for us to be a blessing to our Lord and our home. We must also seek to win a lost and dying world and bring sinners to the Savior. That's a great ministry, intercession, looking out that neighbor, that friend, that co-worker, that person that's lost. How do we fit in? What's our part to play in bringing them to Christ? pastor talked about some of that this morning in the message. Charles Spurgeon, the quotes in your notes, uh, Charles Spurgeon said this, if they, speaking of lost sinners, will not hear you speak, they cannot prevent your praying. Do they jest at your exhortations? They make fun of you. So what? They cannot disturb you at your prayers. Are they far away so that you cannot reach them? Your prayers can reach them. That's why I like to pray for politicians, wherever they're at, whatever they're doing. Just had to throw the in. Spurgeon didn't say that, I did. Have they declared that they will never listen to you again or see your face? Never mind. God has a voice which they must hear. Speak to him, and he will make them feel. Uh, though they now treat you despitefully, rendering evil for your good, follow them with your prayers. Never, listen, never let them perish for lack of your supplications. Spurgeon said that, and I think it's great. What, that's, a, that's an encouraging quote. Uh, Sometimes we get depressed, upset. Am I really doing what I'm supposed to do for the Lord? They're laughing at me. They're not listening to me. They won't hear me. They won't even come around to my house. But our prayers, our intercessory prayers, can accomplish more than we'll realize and may not even see this side of eternity. So make sure you're praying. The Lord uh, and the two angels left Abraham's camp and started toward Sodom. But the Lord lingered. Uh, while the angels went on. So let's let, take a look. What we're talking about is Abraham is an intercessor. So now what we're going to look at is some of the qualities, some of the things that, that an intercessor uh, can do and how he inter, was intercessor here. First one, Roman number one, he, an intercessor must know the Lord personally. I mean, that, this is a given. That's right up front. First things first, an intercessor must have a personal relationship with the Lord and be obedient to his will. You need to be in step with the Lord. You need to be in time with him. You need to understand him. We must be close enough to the Lord to learn his secrets that are found in Scripture. 
and know what to pray about. Amos 3, 7 says that. Psalm 25, verse 14 says that. Sarah and the servants may have helped Abraham when he was preparing the food and getting everything ready like that uh, for the three visitors. But when it came to the ministry of intercession, Abraham had to serve alone. This is something that we can do alone. Abraham drew near to the Lord. James 4, 8 talks about that. And the Hebrew word means come to court to argue a case. Now, he's not going to argue with God but he's going to present an, a legal type argument, a legal case. He's going to say, this is the, the thing that's going on here. And Abraham was burdened for Lot. Lot's been traveling around with him for a while. He had to go to war for him, uh, and now he's down there in Sodom. So Abraham is burdened for Lot and Lot's family, as well as for the other lost sinners that are in those other cities down there. And he just had to share his burden with the Lord. To ever feel sometimes where I, I, I just got to pray about this. I, I just got to talk to God about it. This is really on my heart. You know, and, that, and that happens to all of us. So, Roman numeral two, an intercessor must pray. Abraham's prayer was based not on the mercy of God, but on the justice of God. The Bible says in chapter 18, verse 25, it says, Shall not the judge of all the earth do right? In other words, he's not talking about mercy. He's talking about justice. Won't, won't, you, won't you be a just God? Of course he would. A just and holy God could not destroy righteous believers with wicked unbelievers. And Lot was a believer. We find that in 2 Peter uh, chapter 2, verses 6 through 9. Even though his actions... Even though his actions uh, didn't convey that, they seemed to contradict the fact that he was uh, righteous, but the Bible later on says he was. The cities of Sodom and Gomorrah were exceedingly wicked, and, and you know about that. The men did not try to hide their sin, nor would they repent. And that's what Lot, uh, Lot is living in. Remember that Abraham had physically risked his life and livelihood. Everything he risked, everything he had to save Lot and these Sodomites. Now, Abraham draws near to the Lord and verbally intercedes on their behalf. So sometimes we need to get physically involved and, and do things for people, but sometimes it's just a matter of praying to the Lord and verbally interceding on their behalf. And then... Roman numeral three, an intercessor must have concern for souls. An intercessor must have concern for souls. Abraham did not want to see Lot and all these people perish or die and be lost forever. And when you make that statement, does that remind you of Scripture like Abraham had the mind of Christ? Abraham's thoughts, Abraham's desires for these people was running parallel with the thoughts and the desires of the Lord Jesus Christ, parallel with, it, with the Trinity. Uh, God is not willing that any should perish, 2 Peter 3, 9 says. That's parallel to Abraham's thoughts, what he's thinking now about these wicked people. And the Bible says, he will have all men to be saved, 1 Timothy 2, 4. If Abraham would have got his way, they wouldn't have destroyed any of them. Uh, 
I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live, Ezekiel 33:11 says. So do you see what I'm saying? The person that draws near to God, the person that's a saint, the person is in step with the Lord, that's his thoughts and mind is parallel with that of God because he knows his word, uh, can pray effectively uh, and intercede uh, if he has a compassion for souls. I think probably everyone here fits in that category. But intercessors must have compassionate hearts and deep concern for the salvation of lost, listen, no matter what their sins may be. And if you want to, and I, ha, I put this in there, uh, consideration for the, cons, uh, consider the concern of souls for the apostle Paul found in Romans 9, 1 through 3. I put that in, but just look at verse 3. And this is the apostle Paul talking. He's saved. He's out on the road now. He's doing good things. But listen to what he says. I wished that myself were accursed from Christ. That's a pretty strong statement. For my brethren, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. Paul had a burden for his people. He had a burden for lost souls. Uh, and you know he's praying about them. In Romans chapter 10, verse 1, was part of my life verse that I used as, as chaplain in the jail. Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. That's what Paul said about his people. That's what he's concerned. So what we're saying is that an intercessor needs to have a burden for lost souls. And never underestimate the importance of a small number of believers. As few as 10 people would have saved the whole city, all those cities from destruction. As few as 10 people. If... If Lot had won his own family, if his own family would have listened, the Lord's judgment would have been totally avoided. Just his own family. Small number, 10. And we're talking Sodom, Gomorrah, and the five cities on the plain, all destroyed. And there's, there's a lot of people there. So, but 10 people could have saved that. Your personal witness is important to God now, today, for the rest of your life, and no matter how insignificant you may feel, understand your witness is important. Just a few people praying, a few people saved. I could have avoided the whole thing. Who knows what a few people praying for something uh, could accomplish. And then we come to number two, Lot the friend of the world. Lot, the friend of the world. Uh, and this chapter records the very sad consequences of Lot's spiritual uh, decision, his life, the way he lived, and his spiritual decline. And after this, Lot passes off the scene while Abraham's story continues. That kind of tells you a lot, doesn't it? Uh, but what we're going to do is we're going to consider now contrast between Abraham that we've looked at and Lot, and just see the differences in the way that they lived their life, some of the, the points that, that Wiersbe pulls out of the scripture, so that we can see the differences in them and, and how things worked out. Uh, and you know how Abraham's worked out already. Uh, but letter A, un, or letter A, right? Under Lot, friend of the world. The first thing we're going to look at is locations. Uh, when the heavenly contingent came to visit Abraham, 
It was daylight. It was noon. He was at his tent door. But Lot, or Abraham was at his tent door. That was his location. Lot was sitting at the gate of a wicked city. Abraham was a pilgrim and stranger only passing through this world, but Lot had gradually abandoned his tent and had settled down in Sodom. Abraham was where faith led him. Lot was where sight led him. Big difference in locations. And worldliness is not a matter of physical geography, but it's a matter of the heart. It's a heart attitude. Lot's heart was in Sodom long before the body arrived there. You remember when him and Abraham separated, Lot pitched his tent, looked towards Sodom, moved closer and closer, and now he's in Sodom. Not only is he in Sodom, he's a leader in Sodom. He was sitting at the gate. Uh, and that's where sight took him, worldliness, the draw of the world, uh, the lust of the flesh, all the things, whatever he saw in, in Sodom, that's where he was headed. Uh, and then letter B, the times. It was early afternoon when the Lord and his angels visited Abraham, but it was evening when the angels entered Sodom. Wiersbe points out that Abraham was walking in the light, and by comparison, uh, Lot was walking in darkness. And so... There's a comparison of times. And then the contrast that we see in visitors, letter C, visitors. Only two angels visited Lot. Only two angels visited Lot. Wiersbe points out that the Lord could not fellowship with Lot and his family as he did with Abraham uh, and Sarah. Even though Lot was a believer... His life was such that the Lord could not feel at home with him. And that's an interesting statement, interesting comment, and I had to think about that for a while. Uh, but I believe uh, he was right, and we'll see that here in a second. In the separated, it's the separated believer who enjoys a close walk and communion with the Lord. Abraham was separated from Sodom and Gomorrah. Lot was part and parcel of Sodom and Gomorrah. So he, he's not walking with the Lord. He's not in communion. He's not in fellowship with the Lord. This Greek scholar Kenneth Weiss translated Paul's prayer in Ephesians 3.17 like this, that the Christ might finally settle down and feel completely at home in your hearts through your faith. Unlike Abraham, Lot had no tent or altar, and the Lord could not fellowship with him. But think about that, what uh, Brother Weist had to say. With your thought life and things like that, does the Lord Jesus Christ really feel at home in your heart? Are, is your hot heart's desire, your mind's uh, thoughts, and your life, is it in tune? Is it parallel with Christ? Um, and I think all of us have work to do. None of us are perfect. Uh, so there are things maybe we need to consider that, you know, I, I don't need to spend time thinking about that or, or being involved with that. Need to be more in tune uh, with Christ. Be more in fellowship with him. Uh, I guess whatever we're doing, whatever we're watching on TV, whatever we're engaged in, if Jesus were here with us, would he say, change your channel or turn it off or don't go there? I'm not going with you there. 
so we need, just kind of think of things like that. In any event, uh, it's the separated believer that enjoys a close walk and communion with the Lord. I think that's important. And then letter D, hospitality. <laughs> Lot called himself a servant, but do you see him hastening to prepare a meal like Abraham did? Uh, nor did he stand uh, by to see what further service he could be. Lot's hospitality was an offer to offer as a sacrifice his two unmarried daughters to the lust of the crowd. And in contrast, Abraham's hospitality was to give him the best that he had to, to the Lord and the angels, and later on he would even offer his son as a sacrifice to the Lord. Big contrast in, in their hospitality and what they did. Letter E, messages. There's a contrast in messages, big difference in the messages they received. God's message to Abraham was a joyful one. That, if you, you may know a couple that, that can't have children, and if all of a sudden they can, what a blessing that is, what joy it brings to their heart. Uh, Abraham and Sarah would have the promised son within a year. But the message to Lot was frightening. God was going to destroy Sodom and everything in it. That's his message to Lot. If God came to you and said, I'm going to destroy Chesapeake and everything in it. Wow, that, that would be a message we would not want to hear. God would have spared the city had the angels found ten believers. That's all they needed was ten. But since that was not the case, God mercifully, and I think that's a key point to remember, God mercifully rescued those that were believers. God's message to the lost world is that judgment is coming. It is. But in contrast, God's promise to his own people is that he will rescue them, as Pastor talked about uh, this morning. Yes, we know judgment's coming. Yes, we know there's going to be an end of the world. Yes, we know the great tribulation is coming. But God will rescue us from that. Uh, and praise God for that. The next contrast, uh, letter F, is influence. Because of his faith and obedience, Abraham was a blessing to his home and the whole world. In contrast, because of his worldliness... Lot had no spiritual influence either in the city or in his home. His married daughters and their husbands laughed at him and refused to leave the city. Even his wife, was, she was so much in love with Sodom, she had to take one last look, uh, and that took her life. Uh, Lot's two unmarried daughters accompanied him out of the city, but they ended up in a cave getting their father drunk and committing incest with him. Lot had allowed his character or his integrity or whatever you want to call it to deteriorate to the point that his influence uh, declined with it. Not so uh, with Abraham. And that's a sad commentary, but have you had family members or friends laugh at you because you're a Christian? Uh, I've had that. Uh, not so much family, but friends. Uh, it's... Uh, Interesting. Those people need our prayer. Letter G, attitudes. God has to take Lot by the hand 
and forcibly drag him out of Sodom. First, Lot lingered. He, now, he just wanted to hang back. He wanted to stay there. And then he argued with the angels. And then he begged them. He says, like, hey, look, look, there's a little city over there. It's a small one. Zoar, can I, can I go over there? He wanted to go his own way. Lot resisted God's mercy, and it ended up creating trouble for his family. He did go to Zoar, but then when he saw the destruction, he went up in, into the mountains in a cave. But in contrast... Obeyed, uh, uh, Abraham obeyed God, didn't he? Remember the Ur of the Chaldees? Get your family up and go. And he went. He went where God sent him. And Abraham was a blessing to his family. So the attitudes of the two were, were totally different. And then we come to letter H, consequences. Uh, another contrast. The result of the Lord's visit to Abraham was new hope. And excitement as Abraham and Sarah joyfully anticipated the birth of a son. Lot, however, Lot, however, by contrast, lost everything when Sodom was destroyed and he himself was saved yet so as by fire. Lot's daughters gave birth to two sons eventually. Those descendants would become enemies of the Jewish nation. You know that the Moabites and the Ammonites. You hear a lot about them. That's where they came from, uh, from Lot's family. His influence, is the way he did things, uh, ended up with the uh, enemies came from his loins, from his daughters. Lot conformed to the world and all that he lived for, all that he had, went up in smoke and was buried under the ruins somewhere out in the area around the Dead Sea. And Lot is a warning. <clears throat> Please don't forget Lot was a believer. Lot stands as a warning to all of us believers not to love the world or become friendly with the world or be stained by the world because it's not a pretty picture at the end of the day. The day of reckoning finally comes. Now, like we said uh, in one of the other lessons, the world is our ministry. We can't forget that. We can be in the world, but we don't have to be of the world. We don't have to be part and parcel with Sodom. We don't have to be uh, engaged in it, but we, that they are our ministry a lost world, just like Abraham was. So we need to understand that. And there's a statement I love that says, you can choose your choices, but you cannot choose your consequences. I can get on that interstate and put my foot down and get all the way up to 75 or 80, however fast I go. I can go as fast as I want to, but when that blue light comes on, guess what? The consequences are his. Not, uh, the consequences are mine, and he makes the choice, not me. I can make the choice, but I can also suffer the consequences, and so can you. So that's, that's, that's a good uh, statement to remember about being a believer and the enticements of the world. And, and Satan makes the world look so nice, so inviting, so generic. The way they're changing words now to be so unoffending. No, 
Uh, he's a thief. Uh, he's not just someone that he's a kleptomaniac. No, he's a thief. He's stolen. Okay, so we've got to be careful with the world. Remember a lot when you think of things like that. Number three, Jesus with the friend of sinners. Jesus, the friend of sinners. Letter A, God's love for the lost. God's love for the lost. While it's true that the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah is an example of God's righteous judgment, according to Jude 7, it's also true that God's love for sinners is clearly seen in this story. Jesus certainly did not approve. He didn't approve of the lifestyle of the men of Sodom. But he came to save sinners just like those in Sodom and Gomorrah. When Jesus walked on planet Earth, he was known as what? A friend of sinners. The, the Pharisees and Sadducees and scribes teased him about that. But Jesus clearly de demonstrated that he had, and he still has today, a love for the lost. And if we're to be in step with him and have the mind of Christ and have our thoughts and heart parallel to his, we need to have a love for sinners. And then letter B, God's long-suffering toward the lost. Uh, consider our Lord's love for people of the wicked cities of the plain. To begin with, he was long-suffering toward them because what? This was not the first day he knew about their sin. Their sin had been going on for a long time, and he knew about it, and he was giving them a chance to repent. Just as Abel's blood cried out to God from the ground, so the sins of the people cried out from these wicked cities. God is long-suffering, and he holds back his judgment so that sinners will have time to repent. Second Peter chapter 3 talks about that. And God's listening for the lost. I'm almost done. God, not only was our Lord long-suffering, but he was willing to listen is willing to listen to Abraham's intercession and consider sparing righteous, uh, uh, considering sparing Sodom for ten righteous people. But when the time came, the cities to be burned up, he sent his angels to rescue Lot and the family, even though the ten righteous could not be found. I have Romans 5, 20 and 21 there. But where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. That as sin hath reigned unto death, even so might grace reign through righteousness unto eternal life by Jesus Christ our Lord. And the question is, did Lot uh, deserve to be delivered? Of course not. But do any of us deserve to be delivered and saved from the wrath to come? Of course not. But the amazing thing is that Jesus Christ died for sinners in Sodom and Gomorrah. 1 Peter 3.18 says, For Christ also has suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit. Christ did not die for good people. He did not die for good people. He died for sinners. Because there are no good people, he died for the ungodly, Romans 5, 6. He died for sinners, Romans 5, 8. Uh, we may not have committed the same sins as the people of Sodom and Moore, but we're still sinners nonetheless. Um, and apart from faith in Jesus Christ, we're going to suffer God's wrath too. The inhabitants of the cities had no idea they were awakening that morning to the last day of their lives. 
Life was going on as usual, just like it does for us. And then the fire fell. Like those living in those cities, we do not know our last day uh, when it will dawn. When the last day comes, and then I have those three things there. Number one, will you be like Abraham and not have to worry about the wrath of God? Or will you be like Lot and will you be saved as by fire? Or like the people of Sodom, will you be lost forever? And then letter D, God's word for the lost. And all I have is that verse and we'll be done. Seek ye the Lord while he may be found. Call ye upon him when, while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. And let him return unto the Lord. And he will have mercy upon him and to, and to our God. For he will abundantly pardon Isaiah 55, 6-7. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the time where we can study it. Lord, thank you for being in a country where we can freely assemble uh, to learn about you, uh, to be the salt and light that you want us to be. Father, be with us as we go our separate ways uh, that we might have the testimony of Abraham uh, and treat those around us in a way that will be pleasing to you Keep our thoughts and hearts parallel and in line with your thoughts and desires. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. Toward the hope of our high calling, toward the promise we've received. Thank you for listening. If you have questions about your relationship with God or you would like to know more about the ministry of Good News Baptist Church, please visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org or call us at 757 757- We encourage you to share this message with others. We trust your heart was challenged as you listened, and God's word has had an impact on your life, as together we strive to show forth the path of life. Press on.